We are talking about the doctrine of God. Last week we talked about how can we know that God exists, and now this morning I'm coming to the question of can we know God at all, and I think that's not going to take the whole hour. I think that uh, what, um, although I know Bob, we're getting out early, uh, uh, this is the 9.15 end, but uh, if we finish the first section here about know, the knowability of God, that's the outline you should have, says chapter 10, the know, chapter 9 on one side, and then on the back it says chapter 10, the knowability of God. And then we'll go on to start talking about actually attributes of God, and um, that'll take us several weeks because I'll go through about 30 different attributes of God. So that's where we are. The knowability of God, can we really know God? How much of God can we know? First, we start out with the necessity for God to reveal himself to us. If you need one of those, hold up your hand, and uh, they are on the back table. So you just want to get up and get yourself one. They're from they're kind of the leftovers from last week, but they're there. So if you want to get yourself one from the back table, that uh, it's chapter nine and ten on two sides of the page. Good. Nobility of God. First, the necessity for God to reveal Himself to us. Well, here's the deal. God could have created the universe and not let us know Him at all. I don't think we appreciate that enough, but. I mean, how, how would we know about God if he didn't let us know about him? We might be just kind of stuck in, in just kind of blindness and not knowing anything about God. And so anything that we really know about God, I think we should start out from there and say, wow, this is amazing that he's let us know anything about him at all and not take that for granted. So even general revelation, general revelation, it, that isn't what's in the Bible. General revelation is kind of what everybody can see in nature and in their own kind of deep awareness of God, instinctive awareness of God. Even general revelation depends on God's choice to reveal himself through the created order. So Paul says in Romans 1.19, when he talks about everybody having a knowledge that God exists, he says what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And then he says ever since the creation of the world, his Invisible power and his deity have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So even when God reveals himself in the stars or in the plants, it's because God has let people see that that gives some evidence of his nature. And if we are to know God personally in salvation, I mean, we just think about it. If you didn't have God reaching out to you, or if we didn't in general as human beings, how could we ever find out about him? We couldn't. We need him to reveal himself to us. Um, and so, Matthew 11:27, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We might think, oh, we were really wise. We decided to look for God and find him. Jesus said, nope, it's because the Son chose to reveal God to you. And so that kind of sets the groundwork. It says we need to have a sense of thankfulness that God has even chosen to reveal himself to us um, so that we could know him. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. The smartest people in the world can't figure out who God is unless he reveals himself to them, and no one has ever seen God, but the only God, uh, that is God the Son, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So, so um, 
if we're to know God, we have to depend on God's own initiative or Jesus' own initiative to reveal himself to us. Human beings have a tendency to misinterpret, to misinterpret the revelation about God found in nature. And that's another reason why we need God to reveal himself to us. Uh, Romans 1 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They see things in nature that should tell them about God, but they misinterpret them. They knew God, but they didn't honor him as God. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Um, and uh, uh, I'm going to embarrass John just a little bit here. But last night, uh, John, for a number of years, uh, worked in a, a store that sold telescopes. And people would come into the store, I hope you don't mind, people would come into the store and they'd see these charts of the galaxies and all the stars and everything. And they should have said, wow, look at all these stars, there's a great God who made them. But you know what they would say in, instead? I hope I'm getting this right. They would say, oh, the universe is so big, we're so small, there must be other creatures out there someplace. And we're, we're, we're tiny when... What are we? We're insignificant. So instead of thinking the universe should say, God is great, they would look at the stars and say, we're nothing. They misinterpret it. Okay? So there's evidence from nature, but they, they get it wrong. Or you see um, in... Um, uh, there's a, well, if there's a tornado or a hurricane or a flood... Uh, people misinterpret that. They say, oh, God doesn't care about us. Rather than realizing that what the Bible says about that is that nature is distorted. There's been a, a fall and a curse, and, and uh, there's a warning of, of judgment. But they say, oh, well, there must not be a God who cares. Or, or um, people take evidence in nature about uh, God's existence and they just uh, carve idols for themselves out of wood and you, just, you get that in the Old Testament, but you get that in a lot of tribal religions too. People think they've got to appease these deities that are out in the woods and, and uh, they have all sorts of sacrifices that they make up. There's an evidence that God exists that's out there in the world, but they misinterpret it, they misunderstand it, and, um, and they get it wrong. So how do we get it right? How do we interpret scripture? How do we interpret nature rightly? We need the Bible to properly understand any revelation about God. Every other form of revelation in nature or history or our conscience or our consciences, the meaning of that is all uncertain. Um, so when things go go wrong in nature and there's a there's a a forest fire or a tornado or something, we sh people should think. Oh, there's a warning. There's a warning that things aren't all right with the earth. I, sh I should repent of my sins and, and, and trust in Christ. But instead, they, they misinterpret. Or things go well for them. They get abundant crops and the rain is... Well, it isn't coming here very often right now. But, but I mean, in general, uh, the, the cro crops grow and there's rain and there's sunshine and it's, it's wonderful. And people say, oh, God must love me. It must not be anything wrong. And they... Forget that they have sin and they have to deal with it. So they misinterpret. We need the Bible to rightly understand um, the, uh, the teachings that nature gives us about God. But, um, but then once we have the Bible, then of course we can understand it um, rightly. Now, B, um, we can never fully understand God. We're talking about the knowability of God. First, we need God to reveal himself to us. Number two, 
Are we ever going to know everything about God? Well, never fully, because God is infinite and we are finite. We must affirm what people have called the incomprehensibility of God, or that God can never be fully understood. doesn't mean you can't know anything about God, because what he says in here we know. But it does mean that we're never going to know about him fully. And the Bible talks about a number of things that we can't ever fully understand about God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable means you can't get to the end of it. You can't find it all out. His greatness, you just don't know all of it. How about Psalm 147.5? Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. You ever going to be able to measure God's understanding? No, he knows far more than we can ever know. How about this one, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 12? The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So we... What can't we know? We can't know God's greatness exhaustively. We can't know his understanding or his thoughts. Um, that is, it's beyond our measure or our comprehension. Paul says in Romans 11:33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable. Again, this idea that you, just, you can't get to the end of it. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And that's at Romans 11. Ten, Eleven chapters, Paul's been going through all the plan of salvation for and, and God's plans for all of history, and he gets to the end, and he looks back, and he says, oh, my goodness, this is more than any human being could ever search out or understand. And so um, his judgments, his ways are more than we can search out or know. How about Isaiah 55, 9? As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts, are we ever going to understand them completely? No, they're just infinitely greater than ours. And then Job, after talking about God's control of nature and the storms and the paths of the sea and all, Job says, behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? The thunder of his power, who can understand? So what we have is... um, We come back to this, we can never fully understand God. Can we ever know his greatness? No. Can we ever know his understanding? No. Can we ever know his thoughts? No, not completely, not exhaustively. Can we ever know his judgments or his ways? No. Um, His thoughts? No. That is, there's this sense that God is greater than we are. Now, when we think about this, we think... We can know true things about God. The Bible says God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It says God is love. It says God is spirit. It says God is holy. But when you think about any one of those, if we ever were to know just one thing about God, think about God's love. You know that God is love. Well, but could you know all of God's love? In order to know all of God's love, you'd have to know how God's love related to every single creature in the universe, for every single moment of history, for all eternity, into the future. You're never going to know all of God's love, because you, you don't even know how God's love relates to every single person in this room. Say nothing about all of God's people throughout history to say nothing of that for all eternity. 
And then you don't know about the love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity eternally that never began. So we can know something about God's love, but we're never going to exhaust the knowledge of God's love. So it is with God's justice. So it is with God's truthfulness. So it is with God's knowledge and all of his attributes. We're never going to understand any one of them completely. And so that's why we get this idea about God being incomprehensible. He's so much greater than we are. God's incomprehensibility means that we can never, in this life, and I think this is true, or the next, in this life or the next, have an exhaustive knowledge of God. He's infinite. We are finite. We could go 10,000 years, 100,000 years, a million years into the future, and we are still not going to know all there is to know about God. He's an infinite, infinite creator, infinite being, and we are finite. How do you feel about that? Ed? Yeah. Yeah. Hold on the question. Just let me pause on feeling. When I think about this, I'm exactly where you are, Ed, and what you said. I feel good about it because I want God to be who he is. And I know that I'm a creature, that kind of thing. I think this is really wonderful. I think it's really good for us that God is greater than we will ever understand. That that gives me, I mean, even as I'm saying it, I'm, I'm feeling a sense of just awe and reverence to think that, that my creator is greater than I can ever comprehend. That's good for me. Dan? Okay, hold on that for a while. I mean, the greatest commandment is we should love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. And I want to affirm that. What I'm going to get to the next few weeks is, it's kind of the second half of this. We're never going to know everything about him, but we can know some things about him. And in a lot of ways that may be surprising, he wants us to imitate him in many ways. Now, Ed, what was... Okay, uh, well, you were at First uh, Corinthians 2... But, you know, that follows 2.10 where he says, uh, for, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit. Yeah. The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Yeah. We've been given the Spirit of God, the whole of God, and we have the mind of Christ, it also says. Okay. Uh, and then 1 Corinthians 13, for we will know fully just as okay. fully know. So, okay. it's like you speak to them. Good. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 2... Um, uh, we have received the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things uh, revealed to us by God. And we have the mind of Christ. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we will know fully, even as we have been known. Um, I don't think any of those indicate that we are going to be omniscient. Um, Paul says the Spirit has revealed some things to us, what eye has not seen, nor ear has not heard, 
nor has entered into the heart of man. But that doesn't mean he's revealed everything to us in 1 Corinthians 2. And we have the mind of Christ. Yes, I think that means that we're able to think true things, but it doesn't mean we know everything that Jesus knows. And, and then 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where it says, um, and now I see in a, glass, in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know even as I've been known. Paul doesn't say, he could have said there, then I shall know all things. But he doesn't say that. Um, he says, then I shall, and now I know in part, then I shall know. Fu-. It's sometimes translated fully. I don't think we did fully here in um, just a minute. It's it's just, well, I don't have anything to write on this morning. I didn't know if I would need it, but 1 Corinthians 13. Um, then I shall know fully. I guess we left it, even as I've been fully known. Um, hmm. It's... The Greek word, there are two words, ginosko, which means know, and epignosko, it just means know in a stronger sense. But I don't think, Paul could have said, uh, then I will know all things, uh, tapanta in Greek. He could have said, I know everything, but he didn't say that. He just said, now we know in part, then we will know in a stronger sense. But I think all that means is that all the, all the, cruddy knowledge, all the false ideas and the wrong things that we're thinking, those will be cleared away, but it doesn't mean we'll ever know everything. I don't think the Bible ever says that. And that's good. I mean, I, I like it that we're not going to know everything um, um, because I want God to be God. When I just reflect on that, it's, it's healthy for me. So this is good, that we'll never have an exhaustive knowledge of God. We should continue to learn more about God and enjoy doing this forever. That is why I do not get tired of teaching theology year after year, because every year I am learning new things, and that is interesting. That's fun. That's, that's exciting. And I'm, I've been, I started again at Genesis at the beginning of the year. I don't think I'm keeping up with quite this, get through the whole Bible in a year, but I'm in numbers now. I don't know where the schedule, where are you supposed to be? You're in numbers. Okay, I'm not behind yet, but... See, okay, so the EGs at Deuteronomy 18. I'm I'm falling a little behind here, but I'm working through, and sometimes I just take a little bit longer on a chapter, and just or even on a few verses. But I'm seeing things in numbers that I hadn't seen before. I don't know how many times I've read it, but every time I do, there's something new, and I'm learning, I'm growing. So this is exciting. We can we can continue to learn more about God and enjoy learning about Him forever. So Paul says, what is a life pleasing to God? He says. We are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. You want to be fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I think that we will continually be increasing in the knowledge of God, not only in this life, but forever. Oh. And surely in this life, what is it to be pleasing to God? It's always increasing in the knowledge of God. There is more that you can learn about God. If you've been to class 100, 200, 300, then you can go to class 400. And 500, 600, 700, 800, I mean, you just keep reading the Bible, and there's going to be more stuff. And you know what? Your life situation changes. And so then you find out more about how God relates to this new situation in your life and this new situation in people that you know, or in your church, or in people that you pray for. And there's more that you discover about God as we go through life. And I really think it, it gives us a, a wonderful perspective on 
the whole of our life. As we go from age 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, if God lets us live that long, every year there's opportunity to learn more about God and grow in our relationship with him. And I think that's, I think that's wonderful. Uh, never, never, never finish knowing things. I think I told you I spent a whole year working on, on 1 Peter, the 105 verses in 1 Peter, wrote a commentary on 1 Peter, got to the end of the year and thought, you know, if I had more time, I could learn more about 1 Peter. <laughs> it was really amazing because this is a product of an infinite mind. And so there's a reflection of infinite knowledge in here and all its interconnections and interrelationships and then how it relates to the world. So all our lives, we should be increasing in knowledge of God. And, and that should, that's a great, great, um, a great prospect for us. How do we do that? It's reading the Bible, sure, but then it's in prayer and just walking with God and seeing how he relates to us day by day and how his actions work out in our lives day by day. And we grow in our knowledge of God through our experience of him as well. So... Well, B was what? B, B was never, we can never fully understand God, all right? Now, C is, yet we can know God truly. Although we cannot know God exhaustively, we can know God truly, because all that Scripture tells us about God is true. God is light. God is love. God is spirit. Those are true. He is just. He has righteousness. When the Bible says something about it, about God, it's true. We don't have to think we're going to get to heaven and say, oh, well, erase all that, uh, I'll redo it. No, this is God's word about himself, so it's true. Moreover, we can know God himself, not just facts about him. Some people have said, in fact, I heard a theology professor from an evangelical school in a lecture one time say, well, we can never know God, we can just know what he does in the world. And I thought, I don't think that sounds right. When you look at what the Bible says, it is astounding. It isn't just you can know facts about a person or about God, but it's that you can know him. And there's a difference. Um, I know some facts about President Bush. I know he's president of the United States. I know he used to be governor of Florida. Uh, no, so governor of Texas. Yes, you're awake. Um, his brother is governor of Florida. I know that he used to own a baseball team, Texas Rangers. I know that he's, he was in Pakistan yesterday. I know some things about him. But I don't know President Bush. I've never met him. I've never talked to him. There's a difference between knowing about a person and knowing the person. Or if you've ever read people's resumes and you're trying to interview and hire somebody for a job, you can read something in paper, but then when you meet the person... You get to know a lot more about the person. You get to spend some time with the person. Then you get to know the person. That's different than knowing just facts. All you can read forever, but knowing the person, it is different, isn't it? So the Bible doesn't just say we can know facts about God. It says we can know God himself. And the, there's a lot of verses that use that language. It's pretty amazing. <clears throat> Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me, and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. That's a personal knowledge. That's a, a relational knowledge. That's knowing God as a person. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
is Jesus praying to the Father, talking about knowing the Father and knowing himself. Hebrews 8.11, They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. These are passages that talk about a personal relationship with God. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you children because you know the Father. 1 John 5, we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. So the Bible talks about knowing God personally, and that's a deeper sense than just knowing facts about him. How do we do that? Reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, God's speaking to our heart. He said, that verse was for me today. All of a sudden, that verse comes alive to me today, and I know that God is, it's not just, this is a book long ago, ancient history. It's that God right now is speaking to this, to my heart through this living word, and I'm praying to him, and I'm getting a sense of his presence. I'm praying to him and just resting in his presence and saying, Lord, what about this thing coming up today? What about this situation in my children's life? What about this situation at the workplace where I work? Lord, what about this situation with my neighbor? Will you help with that? And we're, so we're talking to him, and we're having a sense of a knowledge of him, and we grow in that throughout our lives. Okay? Can't, ever, can't know everything about God. Can't ever know any one thing about God exhaustively we can know true things about God and we can know him personally. That's, that's the summary of that. That's the end of that outline. It's good. I think, I mean, not that the outline is good, but <laughs> the subject matter is good. E.G. <laughs> I've got a question. Would you comment, you mentioned earlier, about the, Jesus helping us know God? Yep. Would you talk about the, is there a difference or what the differences are in the roles Jesus plays What's their different roles? What's their in roles between uh, Jesus or God the Son and the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Um, in revealing, well, um, the Holy Spirit guided all the authors of Scripture to write what they wrote. So there's a role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also guides us, helps us to pray, Romans 8, 29. Uh, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but I think the Holy Spirit helps us in that. And the Holy Spirit guides us from moment to moment in life. Jesus reveals God to us because he was joined, it was God joined to a human, a fully human nature, so he was both God and man, and then lived among us to let us see what it would be like for God to live among us. And so he reveals through his person and then through his words and his teaching, the record about his life. Introduction to our personal relationship. Yeah. Uh, is that all the Jesus role or can the Holy Spirit? There's an is, is introduction to our personal relationship with God. I think... Um, um, we come to trust in Jesus, who has forgiven our sins, you know, who has paid for our sins, and we place our trust in him. The Holy Spirit is working in us to awaken that faith in us and enable us to do that. 
There's another question here, and I'll I'm, I'm probably come back to it when we talk about the Trinity. Is there a difference in prayer between praying to the Father and praying to the Son and praying to the Holy Spirit? I think there is. Um, um, I'm not sure that it works out very consistently in my own life, but my instinct is that there's a there's a sense of praying to God for provision and oversight of our lives and things, praying to Jesus for understanding what we're going through in temptations and in our daily life, because he's lived through that with us, praying to the Holy Spirit for the particular areas where he is involved, especially in empowering people for ministry and guiding. Um, so there are some differences there. We might talk about that more in the future. I saw one other hand. A minute. Okay, let's see if I'm at the end. Ah, that was a song we sang last week. Let's, uh, Trent, can we go to uh, next chapter, 11, and that'll be the next handout. And you should have a handout that says chapter 11 on it. Is there one? Yeah, good. Bring this back next week, too, because we're just going to start on this. So now, um, God's communicable attributes. How is God different from us? That is, we're going to start here going through attributes of God, and there are going to be about 30 of them. I don't know if it'll take 30 weeks. Um, But today, um, it may not, because we may do three or four in a week. But but today, in the next 10 minutes or so, I want to talk about God's independence, if we can get through this. Now, here's a question, and this may be not of interest to anybody here, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. (laughs) That is, when people start to teach theology, oh, oh, anybody need a chapter 11 outline? I'll hold up your hand. No, it's all there. Everybody's got one? Okay, Leo, need need one? Okay. Think we need some more? Can, Can people share? We only got ten minutes left of the class, but we got two more. Got two more. And uh, who needs one? And can somebody near you share? Somebody who can't share. Who? <laughs> okay, chapter eleven. Here's extras. Here's extras. Okay. Need one over here. Okay, good. Okay, here's the problem. We're going to study God's attributes. How should we study them? How should we arrange them? In what order shall we study them? How about alphabetical? <laughs> and uh, you get aseity or whatever, and then blessedness, and then, I don't know, compassion, and then what would be D? I don't know. So, I mean, that's, I suppose you could do that, but alphabetical, that doesn't seem like it's too logical. People have tried different ways of classifying God's attributes, but the one that people keep coming back to is incommunicable and communicable. Now, we use that, What when you talk about communicable, you generally talk about diseases, right? <laughs> a communicable disease is one you share with other people. And uh, incommunicable, I guess that'd be one you don't share. So the idea of uh, communicable and incommunicable is uh, there are some attributes where God seems so different from us that we can say he doesn't really share them with us, like his omnipresence. We're not omnipresent. We're not everywhere present. Um, Or his eternity in terms of just his being outside of time, in terms of his own being. 
those things seem so different. And then there are some that seem more communicable, like God is love, but we have love and we're able to act in love and, and, and God is just and we're able to act justly. So that's kind of the general common classification, communicable versus incommunicable. But having said that, then we think about that a little more and we think, well, this situation, I think it's good, but it's, it's imperfect because even the communicable attributes, love, joy, mercy, are possessed by humans imperfectly. Do you have love to the extent that God has it? No. Do you have joy to the extent that God has it? No. Do you have mercy to the extent that God has it? No. So in a sense, you could say, hey, wait a minute, they're all incommunicable in that we don't get 100% of them. That kind of thing. And we possess the incommunicable attributes to a certain degree. So I could say, well, what about God's eternity? I don't, in my being, exist apart from a succession of moments. But am I going to somehow share in eternity? Well, I guess God is going to let me live forever with him. So there's some element of eternity and a knowledge of eternity, kind of an awareness of it. And when I talk about God's omnipresence, I'm not omnipresent, but it is possible to have influence in more than one place at a time, like through telephone or uh, video conferencing or just praying for people. You have influence over... Uh, so there's a little faint echo of omnipresence, not, not quite. So it's a good but imperfect classification. That's all. That's all I wanted to say about that. It's kind of introductory material. And then the last thing, because we're going to um, run to the end of time here, I want to talk just for a minute about the names of God in Scripture. It looks like we'll get to this, and we'll get, and then we won't get to independence until next week, and probably um, that's all right. I want to think about the names of God for a minute in the Bible. The name, a person's name in the Bible is a description of his or her character. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Jacob becomes Israel. Names are important to God, and they describe who the person is. So in a broad sense, what is God's name? Well, God's name is everything that the Bible and creation tell us about God. In a really broad sense, his name is the complete description of God, and that's, of course, that would be more than we could ever understand completely. But... Um, but then having said that, I think we should say that all of creation does reveal something about God to us. And I was amazed when I once read this list where somebody went through the Bible and said, think of the things in nature that reveal God, according to Scripture. Our God is a consuming fire. Well, then a fire tells us something about God. I think about his purity and, and unapproachability and holiness. Or uh, the Bible calls God a rock. Rock. What's the, well, the, the, the rock, his work is perfect in, 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 uh, uh, in Deuteronomy. Well, it means there's a stability and a reliability about God. You can rest on him. So once I saw a list, it was amazing to me how many parts of nature are used in the Bible to describe God. And here is a list. God is compared to a lion. He's a lion of Judah. An eagle, Deuteronomy 32:11. He's compared to a lamb. You know that in Isaiah uh, 53, where as a lamb before its shearers is dumb. A hen, Jesus said, "I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her brood." In speaking to Jerusalem, 
the sun, God is compared to the sun. The Lord our God is a sun and shield. Psalm 84. How is God like the sun? Hmm? Radiant, giving brightness out, yeah. How else is God like the sun? He's consuming all his purity. What else? So, well, source, yeah, source of all energy, penetrating into every part of the, you know, where it shines. Yeah, there are a lot of ways in which God is a sun and a shield. He's a protector, too. So, uh, God is like the morning star, he's like a light. Um, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He shows us the way. He guides us. He's like a light. He's like a torch, like a fire, consuming fire, a fountain, a rock, a hiding place, a tower, a shadow, a shield, a temple, and so forth. I think what these things are doing are they're teaching us to look at the world around us. God made all these, and in, a, and in some way or another, all these things should remind us something about our Creator. All right, so so that that was interesting to me. So it, it tells us there's a lot. You look at the stars, you look at the sun, you look at uh, just at nature, and, it's, and it reveals something about God to us. And then we look at human activities. This is interesting. God talks to us in terms of our own life and things we can understand. God is called a bridegroom. Isaiah 61, the bridegroom rejoices, rejoices over a bride, so the Lord your God will rejoice over you. A husband, a father, a father in heaven, he's the judge of all the earth, he's the king of the earth, he rouses himself like a man of war to go forth against his enemies, he's a builder and maker, uh, um, uh, was it was Abraham or Moses who looked forward to, Abraham I think, looked forward to a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Dan, you're a builder. I just learned that this morning about you. God is compared to a builder. It is Dan, right? What? Yeah. Doug. I'm sorry, Doug. Uh-oh, now I've got the wrong name. You're, okay, God, and some of you are involved in building. God is said to be a, a builder of the heavenly city. He's a builder. Um, he's a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalm 23. Uh, he's a physician and so forth. And then he's spoken of in terms of human actions, such as, Knowing, God knows, God remembers, God sees things going on on the earth. God hears, he smells a pleasing aroma, he tastes something, he's sitting, he's rising, he's walking, he's wiping away tears and so forth. Now, what does all that mean? It means that God is talking to us in terms that we can understand. And so in a way we could say that all that scripture says about God uses anthropomorphic language. That means talking about God in terms of Human beings are in terms of anthropos, man, in terms of our experience. That is language that speaks of God in human terms. And you know what that is? That's just a reflection of the fact that God made everything, and he made it to show forth his character. And so even as the rocks and the fire and the stars and the sun show forth something of God, so human activities show an even more complex understanding of God in all the relationships. But having said that, if we say that God is Father, is God exactly like human fathers? No, he's better. God is a judge. Is he exactly like human judges? He's better. Oh, I'll try this. Is he exactly like human husbands? No, he's better. Um, he, he, he cares for his bride, the church, even better than good husbands do. Um, he's like a king, but he's better than human king. So what happens is the whole of the Bible kind of says, 
God is like this, but he's more. He's like this, but he's better. He's like this, but he's... But the whole of the Bible um, talks about the fact that the whole universe uh, shows something about God's nature. And then, go back to where we started, but we need the Bible itself to correct. Just We can't just look at nature because we get a wrong understanding, so the Bible corrects some of what we learn in that way. So now what I want you to do this week is just kind of watch the world as you are out in it and just think about, oh, wow, that sun feels so good. Thank you, Lord. You are like that. You're just shining blessings on me. Okay? That kind of thing. <laughs> I'll just read this and we've got one. I've got 15 seconds till I've got to be out of here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. This is how all the all creation, all the universe is set up by God to give glory to him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth, and all peoples, princes, and all rulers of the earth, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Let's pray. We thank you for all of these things, Lord. We thank you that you are far greater than we can ever fully understand. We thank you that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Yet we thank you that you've spoken truly about yourself and your word. We thank you we can know true things about you. And, oh God, who made all the universe, we thank you that we can know you and that we can speak to you and you hear us individually. And then we thank you for the fact that you've made all creation to tell us something about you and to remind us of your excellent character. And so, Lord, as we come now in these next several weeks to talk about many, many of your attributes, we ask for you to guide us, help us, to help us grow in knowledge of you so that all our days we could walk in a manner worthy of you, increasing in the knowledge of God for all our lives. Amen. See you next week.